me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John 5. And we will be reading the final four verses of this book, verses 18 through 21. We have spent several months just working our way through this book, <coughs> seeing the blessed assurance that is ours in Christ Jesus. That is what John is eager to impress upon these Christians, and by extension, eager to impress upon us, that we have the blessed assurance of knowing and being certain that we know uh, that we have eternal life in Christ Jesus. So let's read 1 John 5, beginning in verse 18. Hear now the word of the true and living God. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who, he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. <clears throat> Excuse me, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let us pray. Lord God, as we look at these concluding verses in 1 John, our prayer remains the same, that you would open our eyes to see the good and glorious things that are in your word, that you would take these truths and apply them to our lives that we look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. There have been several key words as we've gone along through 1 John that we have seen. And once again, we see a reiteration of a key word as we've gone through this book used to summarize the, the whole emphasis of John, 1 John, this epistle that he wrote. And it is the word know. We know. And it is because we know these things that John kind of ties this whole book together. Remember back in chapter 1 where John had emphasized there that he was writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And that also John was writing these things not only to complete his joy and theirs, but also so that they might recognize they have fellowship with God. Fellowship has been a, a key theme as we've gone throughout this. And really, the emphasis of fellowship is that we live life with God. That yes, it is true, we live life with one another. But we also live life with God. And that God has seen to it and seen fit that he live in us. Well, as we conclude this book, this fellowship with God, that again, that theme that began way back at the beginning, is brought home with the knowledge that is ours in Christ Jesus. And indeed, our knowledge of who Jesus is, his identity, is fundamental and foundational to the fellowship that we have with God. That we live life with the one true and only God, and indeed, Jesus Christ himself is that true God. 
And so we know, and we also know with certainty. There are no question marks left here by John, only exclamation points. And so what is it that we know and that we are certain of? Well, in verses 18 and 19 in particular, we see that there is a certain victory over sin. We are assured of God's ultimate victory over sin. Notice how John begins here, verse 18. He says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. So we are certain that our our present practice, that's really what John is emphasizing here, our present practice is not one of continued sin. Everyone who has been born of God, and and we've, we've talked at some length about what it means to be born or begotten of God, and indeed chapter 5 began with that emphasis of everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, that we are born of God, we stand begotten of God. And indeed it is God who grants this new birth. He is the begetter and we are the begotten. And so everyone who has been born of God We were born of God, and a consequence of that is we are the children of God. Well, the one who's been been born of God does not keep on sinning. Here is John pointing to our present practice. And and my English standard really captures the force of this, does not keep on sinning. I think the old King James might have said, sinneth not. And that, that eth on the end of sinneth points to the present reality of this. This is a present tense thing. That's how the King James translators translated it to communicate to the original readers what was being said. Kind of lose that because we don't speak 17th century Elizabethan King's English. But that was what the King James translators were communicating. That's what is being communicated by John. It's the present practice, the habitual practice. The Christian's life is not one of a career of sin. It does not mean that we are sinless. Again, earlier in chapter 2, John said, look, I write so that you don't sin. But, John, ever the elder, the, the pastor, the shepherd of the flock of God, knowing the human condition, knowing his own lived experience, says, but if anyone does sin, because we do. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so, uh, yeah, it, it it is not, we are not sinless, but we are learning to sin less as we seek to cut off sin at the root. And so, no, we, we do not keep on sinning. We are certain that our practice is one that is not, it does not continue in sin. Indeed, John goes on here, says, but he who was born of God protects him. There are different ways that this has been understood my read of this is that he who was born of God points to Jesus. And indeed, there's, there's a, a way that John has written this that seems to point to this, that Jesus is the one who has been born of God. He is the begotten of God, the unique son of God. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> this one, Jesus, who has been born of God, notice he protects him. That is, Jesus the Son of God, protects the one who has been born of God. In other words, his brothers and sisters, us, the children of God. Jesus is at work to protect us. 
Indeed, one writer put it this way, were any one of us the keeper of our own salvation, it would be a miserable protection. Ah, but with Jesus, who is a perfect Savior, uh, he is a perfect protector as well. This is something that Jesus speaks to during his earthly ministry. Come with me to John chapter 10. <clears throat> John chapter 10. Here Jesus is talking about how he is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He has a flock uh, that is composed not only of Jewish but also Gentile believers. And as he is wrapping up this conversation about being the good shepherd and, and having a flock of sheep, he says, again, John 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice. Notice Jesus has his sheep. And his sheep, listen, they hear his voice. Jesus says, I know them. Can you just sit with that for a moment? Jesus knows you. Mm. I know them. They follow me. Well, of course. They hear his voice. And the sheep is only going to answer the call of his good shepherd. Verse 28, I give them eternal life. What is it John's been talking about? Verse 13 of chapter 5, he said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so you may know that you have eternal life. The very eternal life that Christ has given to us, we can know that we have it. And they will never perish. Notice this. <clears throat> and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I think I've used this illustration before. If so, bear with me, and it's worth repeating. My wedding ring here, which is made out of tungsten, and there's a whole story behind that. But my ring represents the sheep, Christ's sheep. And he says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Here, my hand stands for Christ's hand, and here is his sheep, and his sheep is in his hand. And no one can snatch them out of his hand. You know, sometimes I, I play the game with my kids where they try to pry out from my hand my ring and and sometimes they may get a finger up, and then they move on to the next one, and no sooner do they try that, and I close my hand, right? That's what Jesus does with us. He is, he is protecting us from the, the evil one. But then notice, ready for this, verse 29, my Father who has given them to me. So who was it that put that sheep in Christ's hand in the first place? It was the Father. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Notice that. You have double protection here. Good luck getting Christ's sheep out of his hand in the first place, but then the Father who's greater than all, you've got double coverage here. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And so, again, we have the certainty of this divine protection. And it is the Father and the Son united in purpose. In fact, verse 30, I and my Father are one. I and the Father, we're, I and the Father, we are one. That's the force of what Jesus says there. United in purpose, singular in their intention to protect the flock and the sheep. And, and so it's no wonder that as you read on here, as we come back to 1 John 5 and verse 18, the evil one does not touch him. We have the certainty that the devil can't lay a finger on us. Oh, make no mistake. The devil, he is a, a powerful foe. He does come to assault us. We have a whole Bible full of this, but perhaps the best-known example is in the book of Job, chapters 1 and 2. We get the 
the veil of reality pulled back and we get a glimpse into the unseen spiritual realm and the divine court. And God says, you can touch everything that Job owns, but you can't touch the man himself. And then in chapter 2, <coughs> you can touch the man's body, you can't kill him. You see, Satan is a junkyard dog, but he's only, only got so much chain. He's only allowed so much chain as the Father allows him to have. He does assault us, but he cannot seize us. He can't snatch us from the Son's hand or the Father's hand. Do you see it? He can't grasp us. He can't take hold of us because we've already been taken hold of by the Father and the Son. This is the divine protection. And while the devil is a powerful foe, we need to recognize he's also a defeated foe. You see, the one who was promised at the beginning of the book, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3, the one who was promised who would come to crush the head of the serpent, although his heel would be bruised, the one who was promised has come. And on the cross, that is when he crushed the head of the serpent. And the rest of church history is Christ putting the boot on the serpent's neck. And indeed, in Romans chapter 16, it's even under our feet that the devil is brought under and his head is crushed by our feet. Why? Because we're so big and bad? No, it's because of Jesus. Because we are his brothers and sisters. He is our older brother. The devil is a defeated foe. You probably heard it said that Christ, he beat the devil with an ugly stick because it's a cross-shaped stick, right? Yes, he is a defeated foe. And we rejoice in knowing that. Knowing that although whatever the devil may bring against us, and he brings a lot against us, <clears throat> his final fate is sealed. There is a place prepared for him and his angels. But we are on the winning side. It's not that God has come to our side and uh, agreed to, to be part of our team. No, no, no. He has brought us onto his team, graciously brought us onto his side. So, verse 19, we know that we are from God. We are certain, <coughs> excuse me, that we belong to God the Father. We are His possession. <coughs> excuse me. We know that we are from God. We, here, John has in mind the Christians, believers, his fellow brothers and sisters. He says, we know, we are certain that we belong to God the Father, that we are his possession. We've been called out of the world, uh, although we are still in the world. And so here is, here is John emphasizing again that we, we belong to the Father. Uh, we bear His name. And we also bear the name of His Son. And so we are certain that we belong to the Father, but also 
we're certain the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And, and I've mentioned before, John, he uses that word world a number of different ways. And, and here, what does he have in view here? By world, does he mean every single person, every single individual who was alive then? Well, no, he can't because that would mean that Christians lie under the power of the evil one, and that simply is not the case. And, and when he uses the word world here, does he even mean people? Not necessarily. In fact, this is akin to the way that John has used the word, the word world earlier in chapter 2 and verse 15, where he says, don't love the world. Wait, I, I thought we're supposed to love people. Yes, love your neighbor, but that's not what John means by world. Don't love the world or the things in the world. Anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, ready, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life, not from the Father, it's from the world. John, what do you mean by world and how are you using it here? He's talking about the present world system, the whole complex that makes up this fallen world, and it is that world system that is under the power, under the control of the evil one. And in fact, it's very interesting the way John says this here because it's as if it's the picture of the lazy boy right Uh, some of you may have a lazy boy recliner at home your chair at home and you go and you sit in that chair and then you put your feet up right yeah amen indeed right you're looking forward to getting there (laughs) that's the picture here of the whole world and The control of the evil one is that lazy boy, and the whole world just lays there passively with no intention of getting up, just like you when you get in your lazy boy, right? You don't want to get up. And that's that's where the world is. The world system lies under the power of the evil one with no intention of getting out of there. And yes, there are a lot of people that pull on those levers of power that make up that world system who are themselves quite content to be a part of that world system. But when God comes and works a work of bringing new life to a dead sinner, well, just like us, we can't feel at home in this world anymore. We look forward to the new heavens and the new earth and that world without end where everything is made new, that new creation. But in the meantime, we have to live in this world and just... uh, uh, a little uh, promo, if you will, for our Sunday morning Bible class. We're currently talking about the, the war that we wage as we live in this world in our Sunday morning Bible class, uh, here in the adult Bible class. And the, the devil will use every, every device, every tool at his disposal in order to cause us to stumble, cause us to sin, cause us to fall away, but we know, we know the the way things are. Be not deceived, brothers and sisters. The whole world, John says, is under the power of the evil one, and so we are not to love the world. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come. Again, we are certain of this, and this coming here points to the historical reality 
of, uh, of the, the coming of Christ. In one sense, it's true that John has in mind the incarnation, but also, um, isn't it true that he is present with his church as well? You know, in just a few moments, this, uh, this word of God is going to lead us to the table, and we will gather together and commune at the Lord's table with the Lord's Supper. But who is it that's host of that table? Yes, uh, someone will come up here and lead our thoughts uh, in a time of devotion to the table, but the host of the table is the Lord himself, and he comes and lives with his church. And so the Son of God <coughs> has come, but also uh, he has given us understanding. Notice, we, we know this. We know that we know that he has done this. This is why we have this certainty. He has given us understanding. And some point, too, we, we talked earlier uh, in this book about the anointing back in chapter 2. Could be what John has in mind here. But it is interesting. He has given us. Yes, here is the people of God. It's Christians. And he has given us understanding. Uh, the power even to understand. The power to know is what Christ has given us. Which, by the way, left to our own devices, all we have is the darkness of our understanding and the futility of our minds and the fallenness of our thinking. The New Testament talks about this. That humans, disconnected from God, disconnected from Christ, all we have is our own fallen cognitive abilities. Which again points us to the reality that this isn't a problem of information. Like, like we just we need more information from God. We have sufficient revelation, not only in the created order, but also in special revelation in Scripture. We have overwhelming, an overwhelming amount of information, of truth. But what does the fallen mind do? Darken in its understanding, harden in its heart futile in its thinking, darkened in its foolish heart. Well, the fallen mind takes that and suppresses that in unrighteousness, takes the, the good truth that God has given us and distorts it into something ugly and deformed. But the Christian that has a, a renewed mind, a Christian that the light of the gospel has shined into their heart and into their mind, that individual, Christ has given understanding. Again, left to our own devices, we would never get it. But thanks be to God, the Son of God has given us this understanding for this purpose, so that we may know Him who is true. <clears throat> and so our once benighted minds have been enlightened by the Son of God for the purpose of knowing Him. We might know him who is true, the true one, the, the real one, the genuine one, which stands in contrast with all of the false ones. We've gone through this book, and we've seen a number of the ways that the philosophers of John's day had presented a false Jesus, a Jesus that John and the other apostles did not know. There were a number of ways that they did this. And that problem hasn't gone away. Jesus, 
the man of history, Jesus, the Son of God, is presented by John in a very clear way. He is the Son of God. He is the Christ. He is the one who came in the incarnation. He is the only one who can die for our sins. But again, there are those who take the truth of God and they suppress it and they distort it. And so we end up with, say, the Jesus of Mormonism. We've talked about this before. He is the half-brother of Lucifer, the devil. No, that's, that's the wrong Jesus. That is not the true one. It's a false Christ. Or the Jesus of our Jehovah's Witness friends, who say that he's, he's merely a creature. The first creature created by God, but just a, a creature, not God. A God, little g, but not the God. Again, that's a false Christ. Or, or the Jesus of Islam, <clears throat> who as a, a prophet, that's all he is, is the prophet of God. Allah has no son. And therefore, uh, Jesus, he couldn't have died on the cross. There's no atonement. Again, that's a false Jesus. That is a Jesus that John and the other apostles did not know. On and on it goes. The more things change, the more they stay the same. There are still those who present a false Christ. But we know <clears throat> Christ has given us understanding. <clears throat> Excuse me. Given us understanding so that we may know the true Christ. And He is the true Christ. And also we know Christ having given us understanding, that we are in him who is true. We're in Christ. And we've talked about this in him relationship as we've gone throughout this. But uh, if we are in any other Christ than the one that John and the apostles preached and, and taught, then we are in the wrong place. We need to be in Christ, in his son, Je uh, John says here, in his son, Jesus Christ that's the real one. All others are imaginations. All others are cheap imitations. All others are imposters. And so we need, again, the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. He is the true God. Notice this is a very clear, definitive declaration of the deity of Christ. He is the true, the real God. Again, every other Christ is, a, is an idol. It is a, a Christ who is opposed to the real Christ, a false Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And again, only in this Jesus is there eternal life. All other false Christs cannot give you eternal life. Indeed, what is it John said back in 5 and verse 12? Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. What does the Jesus himself say? John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Only in Jesus is there life. And this brings us to the last verse of the book, which, I don't know, maybe it strikes you as kind of odd. <clears throat> Little children, 
keep yourselves from idols. Nowhere in this book have we come across any direct mention of idols as we've gone along. And so, again, it kind of <coughs> strikes us as strange. Idols? John, what, what are you talking about here? But while there haven't been other direct references to idols as we've gone through 1 John, it's been there implicitly. You see, all that other talk about false Christs and antichrists and all these other Jesuses that are being invented by the world and by philosophy, well, those would be idols. And in that context, this doesn't seem so strange anymore, does it? Little children, again, a term of endearment that John has been using throughout this book to talk about these fellow Christians. Keep yourselves from idols. From all of the idols that are presented by the world and by philosophy. <clears throat> Keep yourselves from those. Don't go after those. Those are, those are false gods. You know the true God. You know Him who is true. Stay with Him. And also, keep yourselves, this, uh, this term that is used uh, elsewhere in uh, John's context. It was used to describe a, a watchman who would stay up overnight to keep guard of a city. While the, the citizens slept, this watchman would be on guard in order to keep that city. You get the idea here? John is exhorting these Christians, stay awake, keep awake, stay alert, stay on duty, be watchful, which by the way, this is just John echoing his master. Go back and read Mark chapter 13, and you see there Jesus exhorting his followers to the same thing, be awake, stay alert, keep watch, and here is John doing the same thing. Be on your guard against these idols. They are out there. These other Jesuses who cannot save you. And again, even in contemporary Christian and evangelical circles, we've, we've documented, I've gone along and, and, and shown us as we've gone through First John, that there are <clears throat> different ideas about who Jesus is. And when you start messing with who Jesus is, you also take a swipe at the atonement. And any other Jesus who is not the Jesus that the apostles knew and taught and preached is a Jesus who cannot save you. This is why John has been so adamant and why he concludes with his final exhortation. Hold fast to the true God. Don't turn loose of Jesus. Turn away from all those false idols that are presented by the world and have been invented by all these other individuals who betray that they are of the world as well. Hasn't gone away. And this exhortation is still true for us today. And there may be more idols today than there were back in John's day just because of the, the nature of time and the way things go. 
And so his exhortation then is just as relevant to us today. Keep yourselves from idols. And brothers, my sisters, you know Jesus. You read about him in your Bible. And I exhort you just as John did to continue to follow the Jesus uh, that's found in the pages of the Bible. The Jesus who's found in the Gospels. Jesus who's preached by the apostles in in the book of Acts. The Jesus that the Apostle Paul is at pains as well to demonstrate in all the epistles that he writes. He presents his identity clearly. The Jesus that Peter writes about in 1 and 2 Peter. The Jesus that Jude writes about in the little New Testament postcard of Jude. The Jesus that James, the half-brother of Jesus, talks about in his epistles. The Jesus that the writer of Hebrews presents in such lofty and exalted and majestic ways. The Jesus that John writes about, not only in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the Revelation. The Jesus that the, 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 the prophets looked to and longed to see. The Jesus that is predicted and prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus. Simply Jesus. Only Jesus. Yes, let us stay with him. Let's commit this to prayer. Lord God, you know there are so many opponents of your church and of Christ and of truth. They were present in John's day. They persist today. They sound a little different, but it's the same attack on truth. I pray, Father, that we would be people who love truth and cherish truth and know the truth and and also seek to make known the truth through the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to be diligent in this, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.